You are listening to Rouge, White and Blue, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Welcome to the Bruce Wright Blue CFL Podcast. I'm Oz Davis. I'll be your host for the show. Joining me as always, of course, is my co-host Joe Pitchard. Joe, how is it going? You and your undefeated Bombers? Not quite undefeated, but, you know, <laughs> since our guest here doesn't acknowledge the existence of the uh, Toronto Argonauts as a, a as a top-tier professional football team, I, I'm oh. sure. We'll, we'll, I'll take undefeated this week. You, you caught my troll way too quickly there, Joe. All right, so this week, the Bruce White Blues welcoming on Mike Graham of the Hamilton Tiger Cat-centric podcast, Podski Wee Wee. Mike, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I appreciate you guys having me on. We'll, we'll get into the specifics of your Tiger Cats in just a moment, but in general, how are you feeling about your guys now mathematically in first place in the East? Well, I'll take a win anyway we can get it. And, you know, it's really hard uh, to beat the Calgary Stampeders if you're the Hamilton Tiger Cats in the past, you know, God knows how many years. But, uh, you know, we're three and three. We're looking okay, but there's still many problems on this team, I think. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I'll help you break down those problems a bit later. As an <laughs> but Joe and I, especially I, wanted to have Mike on the show to talk about something that he discussed both on first on Twitter. It's not kind of weird to say discussed on Twitter that he tweeted about on Twitter and then later talked about on the episode of the Bodsky Weaver podcast. And what you said more about, let's just start with the tweet that I'd like to talk about. It goes, the CFL is a problem with the on-field product. We can no longer say three-down football is more exciting than four. It's just not. I'm sorry. Something needs to change. Now, beyond this, uh, Paul Woods, author of Year of the Rocket, was recently on the show, and I guess we can call a friend of the Bruce White Blue, replied to the tweet with, I've been saying this for several years. There are many reasons for it, but it's a sad reality. The NFL has surpassed CFL for entertainment, something I never would have said 20 years ago. It's a fixable, it's, I'm sorry, it's fixable, but will require some significant changes to rules and approach. Now, I would, I know Joe would like to get into this uh, as well, uh, Mike, but first I have to ask, and, and I'm being a little bit skeptical, I'm playing the skeptic a little bit, but especially since we also heard from Paul on this, but is any of this based in, I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, nostalgia. I mean, even yourself said in the podcast that you want to go back to the glory days. So how much of this is get those kids off my phone? Well, I think that's a part of it. I think that's a big part of it, to be honest. I, like wow. back in the 90s when you had Doug Flutie and Matt Dunnigan throwing the ball, you know, all around the field, it, it was fun to watch. You know, the passing numbers were up. The points per game were up. Um, and the funny thing about that is, you know, the – the time when there was the best on-field product in the CFL, they were struggling mightily off the field. So it, it didn't seem to matter um, for fan interest. But yes, I think I, it's a huge part of it is nostalgia. I just thought that back in the day, CFL football was more high-scoring, more entertaining. And it just, it just doesn't seem to be that way, especially this season. Now, last week, Joe, when you first saw this, you wanted to offer some pushback on the show, but now you say you've had more time to think about this viewpoint. What's your take on the 
quality of play at the CFL and related matters. I think if we're going to talk about quality, well, of course, it's going to be a little bit down this year because of the long layoff and the massive changes the rosters went through. Uh, but if we're talking about not so much the quality, but the entertainment value, I can see Mike's point because hmm. coaches tend to be a conservative lot. And uh, Winnipeg happens to be doing something really, really well right now that nobody else in the league seems to be able to do, which is sustain drives and move the ball up and down the field. Now, of course, they made, they make some mistakes here and there. But when you're talking about the three down game now, as opposed to the glory days Mike's talking about, the talent level is actually much, much higher today, I would imagine, given that the rosters are more specialized and much larger. So you don't have players in positions where their glaring weaknesses can show. And then you also don't have and since there's not a lot of weaknesses to exploit, coaches tend to pull back and play the conservative game where they'll try, where they'll, where they'll plan to use two plays to get 10 yards most of the time. Uh, now, that's if that works, great. You're going to move the ball down the field. It's going to take some time. You're going to score some points. But the problem with that approach is that if you have one bad play, be it a sack <laughs> and incompletion even, or especially an interception, of course, but anything, anything negative that happens on your drive, you don't, you get a second chance, but you don't get a third chance usually. Uh, with the NFL having the extra down, you can, you can have a bad play and still have time to recover from that a lot more so than you can in the three down game. And with teams not airing it out nearly as long, uh, nearly as much as they used to, you taken away a lot of the big plays that happened there's still some but it's not the uh, aerial circus it was in the 90s and you can see why if you have the off if you have if your offenses are off their game like they are after the pandemic how the product can be considered boring and one of the one of the big complaints that i hear from fans uh football fans that don't like the cfl is too many punts there's too many punts and if you're watching a cfl game and it it is uh you know, the offenses aren't performing, it can be really boring. Now, if you're watching a CFL game where the offenses are playing well, it's the best brand of football in the world, in my opinion. So, um, like, I went to a game, I went to an Edmonton game two weeks ago. The last game was actually pretty good. So, I'll, I will admit that. But I, I brought a couple people there, and I was saying, we're going to have a good time. It's going to be fun. And it was just two and out punt, two and out punt, two and out punt, offense back on the field, back up, back and forth. It was just... It was kind of embarrassing to me because I'm, you know, building up the product and then this is what they play on the field. So I think that Joe is right that the, uh, the coaches are a little too conservative in my mind. Um, and like he's right about the uh, if you have one bat down, you're in trouble. If you have a holding penalty, that's 10 yards back. Now you're first and 20, you're second and 20. You're basically, it's guaranteed you're going to have to punt. So, you know, I don't I don't know. I really don't know what the answers are to this. Um, but I think there has to be some tweaks made and it's not four downs. I, I, some people thought, there's my cat. Um, some people <laughs> thought that I meant, uh, some people thought that I meant that they should go to four downs and that's not what I meant at all. I, I don't think that's the answer. I also do have one, another thought to add to this too, while we're at it. 
the style of the NFL has changed too. In Absolutely. the 80s and 90s, it was the conservative game. It was the three yards in a cloud of, if you were lucky, dust. Usually it was terrible astroturf, but... Uh, <laughs> no, sometimes it was dust from the infield. There That's also go. true, too. That's also true. <laughs> but then the NFL has changed the way they've played their game now, where they're the ones slinging the ball all over the place. In the 80s and 90s, the more athletic quarterbacks migrated to the CFL because the NFL played a drop back game, either drop back seven, seven or seven steps and throw it way downfield like the Raiders or drop back three steps and hit your receiver like the 49ers. And there was really no, besides a couple of teams experimenting with the run and shoot, which was pretty much um, dragged through the mud every single time it came up in, in the media and in the people that were supposed to know the game, uh, that offense looks quaint now compared to what the, what offenses are running these days. So the CFL's also kind of lost its advantage in athletic quarterbacks being only valuable to the CFL. Well, actually, I, I, I kind of wanted to push back a little on Mike about this, or, or actually just explore a possibility. Because I hear what you guys are saying, and, and, and Mike specifically also said on the podcast um, that there's no creativity in the passing game, uh, the run-pass option has disappeared, and there's poor offensive line play. Now, the poor offensive line play, I would say that's all over football, because I don't know how Canadian college ball is, but everybody is using the five wide receiver spread now. Right. And, and yeah. so much of the game is about getting rid of the ball fast or and this is one thing I wanted to say that has not been lost in the CFL or your quarterback runs with it. See, that's one thing that the CFL still has that the NFL is now like discovering <laughs> is that your quarterback can run on the bootleg, you know, for example, um, which they had forgotten for a good 30, 40, 50 years prior to that. Uh, but the CFL still has that. It's just, okay, maybe we don't have the bombers, some of the young bombers that, no pun intended, Joe, that the NFL is producing these days. But could not this be just a uh, symptom of defenses getting more sophisticated? I mean, in my opinion, Adam Big Hill is the player of the year this year. And it wasn't yeah. that long ago that, that Solomon Elamimian was player of the year in the CFL. And you see this, I was talking to somebody about this, I think about basketball the other day. You see this in all major team ball sports where defenses get ultra, ultra sophisticated and offenses have to find a way to break it. In the NFL, they've recently, offensive offenses have recently gotten a boost from the rules committee. You know, they're making it a little bit easier for to receivers to exist, but I mean, aside from that, to me, this kind of feels just like a, a wave, you know, has it, has the CFL never had a dead ball style? Never. Have they never put the run first? Have they never had dominant defenses? Never in the whole history of the game? Well, they, of course they have. I mean, you could look at the Bombers last year and they won the Grey Cup with a strong running game and a strong defensive presence. So, I mean, it, it does happen, but 
it's just overall that I'm watching every game and it's, it just seems to be we're the defensive game now. We're not the offensive. And that's, you know, this is, this is the reason why I fell in love with the CFL because it was different from the NFL because it was more exciting because there's bigger plays. Now it seems that the CFL offenses are just running, you know, the West coast style, you know, dink and dunk type stuff. You know, they're throwing three yards down the field, four yards down the field. And maybe that's because the offensive lines can't block. I, I'm not sure. Like I, I, I don't really know what's happening, but I have a theory that you know everyone drafts offensive Canadian offensive linemen every year. It seems that it's just pretty much all offensive linemen. And then there's these guys on the defensive line that are coming out of you know wherever Michigan or or they're playing D1 you know high level football and they you know they dominate these offensive linemen. I know that people will kill me for this. They will say, you're wrong. Canadians are just as good and all that. It's not true. It's not true. America is all about football. They have the population is way bigger. Um, it's just a fact that they're going to produce better football players. And it's not to say that Canadian football players suck, but when they're going up head to head, it's tough to manage. And I, that's just one theory of mine. It may be completely wrong. I hear you. I mean, all we could do is theorize about this stuff. Yes. Joe, what's your theory? Again, I think it goes to players being more specialized these days and the rosters being larger. You can have a back, a back, a solid backup in your defensive backfield. Fill them, fill your defensive backfield and your defensive line full of, like Mike was saying, Americans, and then have and then having your offense have three Canadian receivers there's more talent in Canada now. So you feel comfortable putting the ball in their hands mm-hmm. on the flip side, you've gone ahead and now you've got five guys that can run four, four in your defensive backfield. They're going to, they're going to keep the deep ball from happening. Whereas uh, I've been doing some reading and some research lately uh, in, in regards to carding, carding the 86 season for the dice game I play because I got a request for it. And we're talking about 35-man rosters, and when you've got 24 of them having to be starters, you don't have a lot of backups. You need versatile players that don't maybe not necessarily specialize in anything. Hey, you had one backup lineman for the offense and the defense, maybe. Mm-hmm. So you needed to – and the rosters were in flux a lot more, too. You didn't – you weren't able to stash talent either. Um, right just you had to have players that could do a lot of different things as opposed to doing one thing really, really well. And they'd be coached to only do that thing. And you mentioned Paul Woods earlier. And I know one of his theories is that, um, you know, that the clock, the 22nd play clock stops for defensive rotations. And that's not how it used to be. So they can rotate guys in like, and it's not really a, a true 22nd clock because they're stopping it for the defensive rotations. Back in the day, I mean, you had 20 seconds and the defense got tired. So uh, that may be a problem as well. And you didn't have anybody to pull off your bench. It was if you had a backup at a position, you were lucky and Mm -hmm. cross your fingers that nobody, you don't have two injuries in the same position that day. Yeah. Hmm. Now, I'm not necessarily saying we should go back to that and we're never going to because the Players Association sure isn't going to say, yeah, let's cut the roster. (laughs) But that's going to make that's going to make it harder to exploit mismatches. Yeah, absolutely. Now, now, now Mike, on the podcast, uh, your co-host Josh Smith 
uh, said he completely agreed with your viewpoint. Uh, I myself am quite concerned with the uh, financial precariousness of this league. Do you think that your viewpoint um, is a majority viewpoint, or do you think a lot of people feel the way you do? Uh, you know, I got a lot of feedback on that tweet, and uh, it was it was like half and half. You know, people don't want to admit. Um, I don't want to admit. I hate saying that. I really do. I love the CFL. It's my it's not my life, but it's it's a huge part of my life, and uh, I grew up with it. You know. Um, the Tiger Cats are, are, are a big deal to me and all that. And it, I, I don't like saying negative things about the league, but I, I'm just watching the games. And this is this is what I came up with. You know, this is my opinion. So um, I think there's a lot of put, you know, pushback from hardcore CFL fans that will never admit that uh, the product is kind of declining. Um, but that being said, I mean, you know, I put that out there and then the, the next weekend there was three pretty good games. So. Hopefully, like going forward, um, we will see some high, you know, in t- entertainment level football, you know, high scoring offensive football um, later in the in the in the season. But uh, there was a lot of excuses. You know, there was a lot of uh, well, you know, they didn't play last year. But we're in week six now. I mean, I get it. The first two weeks, yeah, there's going to be some sloppy football. But you know, football players don't just forget how to catch the ball. They don't forget how to block. You know, they don't forget how to run the ball. They don't forget how to throw the ball. And that's what it seemed like in the first four or five weeks of the season. Okay, actually, we just got done week seven. And um, as our guest, just sorry, as, as our guest just said, um, we had some pretty good games. So let's talk about these pretty good games. I'd, I'd like to get right into uh, the first one, which was Hamilton Tiger Guest 23, Calgary Stampede 17. Uh, Mike, your tie cats do not score an offensive touchdown, still win at home against Calgary. How, why justify yourself? Uh, uh, that's a good question. I have no idea how that happened. Um, the, third string quarter, the third string quarterback comes in, you know, we run this, you know, I don't know what do you call it. Uh, you know, junior high offense where the, they don't throw the ball mm. 15 yards down the field, the whole game, it seemed, but uh, Bo Levi Mitchell had an off game. He looked, terrible um you know there was a lot of you know that first half of that 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 game was just filled with mistakes i think there was three drop punt catches one by two off face masks it was really bad it was just a terrible game altogether and it was a miracle that the tigers won it to be honest yeah quite literally they're coming down to the last few minutes of that game uh joe uh can you take anything positive away if you're a sam peters fan no (laughs) (laughs) No, if you're a St. Peter's fan right now, you're going, we had Hamilton right where we wanted them. Maybe didn't want to play in Tim Horton's field, mind you, but we had them with a third-string quarterback that obviously that obviously Hamilton didn't trust to do much more than protect the football. We had time and we had opportunities to go score, and we just couldn't do it. And now we're two and five and in the basement of the West, which is getting better by the day. I'm not happy at all if I'm a Calgary St. Peter's fan. And I'm wondering if Bo is having a couple of off games, if the injury is still affecting him, or I'm wondering, you know, is this going to be an off season for him? Is he just not, did he, did the pandemic hit him harder than a lot of other players? 
And, you know, the Stampeders come into every season. They let a lot of talent go every year, and they always replace it with, uh, with, with good talent that, uh, you know, makes them a good team. And, you know, at the start of the season, I, I said, I don't think it's going to work this time. And people called me crazy, but rightfully so. I mean, the Calgary Stampeders have been, you know, the top of the heap in the CFL for, you know, decades, it seems. So I just think that maybe letting all those guys go, not bringing in guys to replace them, you know, name guys, has finally bit them on the butt. How can you, right? Joe and I have been talking about this on the show. They don't want to admit it, right? But uh, this is rebuilding. The vultures have come from the Stampeders every year, you know, the past seven, eight years, and they lose two or three guys. And you can replace Alex Singleton with a pretty good player, but you lost Alex Singleton, <laughs> you know? And I think that now it's just, it's finally the erosion has finally worn them down enough. And uh, it's wait till next year time for Calgary. Well, we'll I mean, two and five, they still have half the season. You never know. You never uh, know with them. They could pull off seven in a row, but it's not looking <laughs> great. It's not looking great for them. Yeah, I yeah, I, I, I think this is missing the playoffs. This is what that looks like in Calgary. All right, going on then. Saskatchewan Rough Riders reaffirmed themselves with 30 against the Toronto Argonauts, 16. Um, the official website released a power rankings list on Monday after the games. And the power rankings had BC Lions at two and Riders at three. Now, I don't know. It seems to me that the writers have looked really good against every team except for Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. Are BC Lions really number two, Joe? It could be. I mean, they lost the first game of the season. They lost uh, to the Riders by four when they had quarterback injury issues. I don't happen to have it in front of me as to who their other loss was, but they they looked good for most of the season and even early on with the quarterback's injury struggles with Riley they were still competitive might just be that they're right now they're sitting at four and two and so is Saskatchewan they're hosting Saskatchewan this week in BC place this is going to be the game that's going to tell us if BC is a contender or a pretender, I think. A lot of folks are making are making this out like yeah, BC Lions are on a three-game winning streak. They beat Ottawa twice and Montreal, who couldn't do more than kick a field goal. Um, Mike, what's what's your take on BC Lions 2, Riders 3? Where would you put them? I, I'd probably flip them. Uh, I think Winnipeg and Saskatchewan are the class of the league right now. Um, you know, Saskatchewan has been pretty productive on offense and their defense is, is stellar. You know, Winnipeg, we all know about Winnipeg, their defense is killer and their, and their offense is just getting better week by week. Uh, I've been impressed with the BC lines. I thought they, they've you know, offensively, they've really done some good things. And I know you mentioned it was against Ottawa twice and Montreal once, but Montreal's a pretty decent defense. Um, and you know they they acquired some guys. They were just terrible in 2019 with the offensive line. I think they're you know they got Riker Matthews from Hamilton, which still kills me to this day that they let him go at left tackle. And then they brought in a guy like Lucky Whitehead, who's just been you know killing the league right now. I think he's leading the league in receiving. Um, just a dynamic player, uh, really fun to watch. So I've been impressed with BC, but I put Saskatchewan at two. Okay. Uh, moving on in last week's games. I guess I have to face up to this eventually. 
BC Lions 27, Montreal Alouettes 18. I think I've got to say my new favorite Alouette is David Cote. I think he's everybody's favorite Alouette right about now. Going six for six, scored all of Montreal's points. Uh, as usual, the Alouettes killed it in the running game. You know, William Stanback goes for 139 of 18 carries. Vernon Adams has a 24-yarder in there, I think. But, you know, four turnovers, no head coach. And, you know, the Alouettes just couldn't find the right place to punch it into the red zone. I mean, okay, so we had two passes completed on second down in the entire second half. Here you go, Mike. There's a poster child for you. And both of those were in Mont- Montreal territory. Um, I Did either of you guys want to uh, watch this game? I, wa- I wanted to know what you thought about the, the record-breaking, uh, you know, achievement in this thing. Uh, Vernon Adams, of course, went 16 of 36 with two interceptions and the game ending fumble as well. But 14 passes knocked down, which I was even just barely marginally aware the uh, CFL kept track of. Uh, can you tell me what happened, Mike? What is this? I, I don't know. I, that was 14 <laughs> pass knockdowns in this game. Yeah. Yeah. For BC. Because oh, wow. there was a ton of. There was a ton of pass knockdowns in the uh, Calgary Hamilton game too, especially on uh, on Bo. But yeah. uh, I just caught the first half of the Montreal BC game because I went to the uh, the game afterwards in Edmonton. But uh, to me, the Montreal Alouettes live or die with Vernon Adams. I think you know their team is good. They have weapons around them. They have a great running back. Uh, they have a really pretty good offensive line. I think um, he's just been hot and cold. I mean, one game he looks stellar. He looks like a superstar. And then the next game, like this game, uh, he just seems to uh, let everybody down. So I, I don't – Vernon Adams, I think, has so much potential. He just has to reach it. But this was Kari Jones missing, wasn't it, Joe? Mm, I don't know about that. And really? Kari Jones not, is not throwing a football. Kari Jones is not catching a football or any sort of thing like that. I mean, clearly, if he's he, it, it it'd be nice for him to have been on the side, been able to be on the sidelines, and help and help guide things. But he's not the one that was that can make the plays on the field anymore. Somebody, no, had to- I just, I just did like play calling. You know, I think the fact that there were so many tip passes, so many touch passes, tells me that okay. I know the BC Lions prefer to play that hangback defense a little bit. I don't know what you call it in, you know, I guess the Canadian nickel defense, right? I, I know they like to hang back a lot, and that's part of it, you know, but but they were predicting stuff. They were all over every play. It was, you know, they needed, uh, you know, somebody to mix it up a little bit. And I think they're going to lose again <laughs> this week because of no Kari Jones on the sideline, but all right, let's uh, close this one out here because we'll talk some more BC Lions later on. Um, Winnipeg, Blue Bombers, again, just a beast at Edmonton. 37-22, two defensive touchdowns. Now, I saw some buzz on CFL Twitter this weekend about Zach Laris for most outstanding player, but how about Adam Bigel? Huh? I, w- I want to put Adam Bigel's name Joe, you want to take your victory lap for the week? Seems like we do this every week. I, I like this segment of the show. It's my favorite. <laughs> I would have felt a little bit better, though, um, had they 
it, the score the score was a little bit misleading. I felt like uh, the Bombers had a fourteen nothing lead and were going for twenty one when Claros was intercepted in the end zone. And then yep. it took the Bombers like a full quarter after that to really recover their bearings. They even lost that lead entirely and were down by a and down by a point. And then the Bombers defense was finally able to get after the rookie quarterback that was facing them, which early on, it looked like they had his number. Second quarter, Cornelius looked fantastic. And then he's made a couple of rookie mistakes and the Bombers absolutely pounced on them and turned them into big points. Um, but of course, Cornelius wasn't helped at all by his special teams who like to return field, field goals out to like the five yard line and leave him stuck in the shadow of his own goalpost too. Mm-hmm. Now, I won't talk about the fact that they had missed field goals to return because that kind of makes me sad. So we'll move on from that. Yeah, I wanted to say shame on the Bombers for picking on poor Taylor Cornelius in his debut appearance in the CFL. Zero TDs against three interceptions. Bad Bombers. Bad, bad Bombers. <laughs> Any takeaways uh, from you on this one, Mike? Well, I'm just happy that I went to a game and they the you know there was yeah. touchdown scored. Um, you know, <laughs> Trevor Harris, you never want to see anyone get injured, but, you know, he's just been terrible at home. And it's just, I don't know what it is about that guy, but he is, he is very hot and cold as well, just like Vernon Adams. And um, he just gets at home and he, and he just doesn't perform. And it's, it's a really big letdown. I knew that there would be a better performance on offense because he's not behind center. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's weird to say because he has a pedigree, you know, he played that game against Hamilton in, in 2018 or I can't remember what year in the East final. And he was almost perfect. He threw five touchdown passes. His percentages were, you know, in the high eighties, early nineties. I, I can't remember, but he needs to be a lot better at home because um, I'm not even a Elks fan. And like, I started booing this team. Like they're just not good at home and it needs to be better, but it was a very pretty entertaining game. And, and I thought that, you know, Edmonton jumped up on that lead. They were up by a point and then everything fell apart. But um no, it was the most entertaining game I've seen in a long time at Edmonton. No, I, I was just going to say that the the Elks making the comeback to begin with was more moxie than they've shown um, mm. for most of the season. Yeah, that I you know I predicted I predicted Trevor Harris to be the MOP in this year and the Elks to finish first in the West and. I mean, I look pretty dumb right now, but uh, uh, well, I didn't go you. quite that far, but I did have Calgary and Edmonton potentially one and two. So, you know, that shows yeah. how much I know. Yeah. I mean, it's so hard to predict in the CFL. You just never know what's going to happen year to year. Sure. I'm surprised you're saying that looking at the uh, Eastern standings right now. I thought in general, this was the week when everything got clear. You know, here we are. Here we are in the East again. You know, you got a bunch of teams fighting for the top spot and for 500. So in that respect. Not much different. All right, we'll be right back after a tiny break. We'll talk next week's games. All right. 
we are back. I just been invited. I could produce this episode really quickly. So let's talk. This week's game's coming up. Now, I'll give the guest the first shot at this one. Shouldn't be too tough to predict, though. Hamilton Tiger Cats, 10 and a half point favorite at Ottawa. What do you say, Mike? Do they cover? Uh, I'm not. That's a, that's a tough one because, you know, 10 and a half points, that's a lot of points especially a, a Hamilton team that is playing once again, David Watford, and will probably run that um, high school type offense. I, I think the Hamilton Tiger Rats will win this game. Uh, I'm not sure. I wouldn't take the 10 and a half points. There's just, it, it's too dicey for me, but I think they will, in the end, the uh, Tiger Cats will come away victorious. Okay. Joe, what, what do you think? On this one? I think if they do cover, it's going to be because of defensive touchdowns. Uh, Simone <laughs> got another one in him this week. I certainly hope so. I mean, he's, he's on a roll right now, isn't he? He's, he, if he keeps playing the way he's playing, he might be up there with uh, Adam Big for in the uh, MOP conversation, but uh, we shall see. I think that the Ticats defense is coming on pretty strong right now. They're back fully healthy. You know, that I don't think there's any real weaknesses on the defense. Um, I don't. I can't say the same thing about the offense, obviously, but I think that they're shaping out to be one of the best in the league. No, and the offense has finally found a little bit of something. They don't need to be dynamic, explosive. They just need to not make mistakes, and they need to put twenty points on the board each week. If they could do that, they're going to win the East going away. Yeah, I think so, and especially against Ottawa. I mean, we beat a Calgary team. I know that they're not the same as they have been in pa- in the past years, but we beat a Calgary team you know, not playing very well on offense. So I'm surely we can do the same thing against Ottawa. I kind of wish I were still playing CFL Pickham because I'd probably be at about 38% right now. And I'd take Ottawa just to be contrarian. I think if Ottawa does manage to get another win this season, it's going to be this one because they're coming off of the bye. And, you know, y'all are saying if Hamilton's offense can score 20 points, well, they rarely do. Mm-hmm this season sure so, but then you but then you also have to consider the defense is usually good for at least seven yeah hours. yeah 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 the defense is not going to allow an offense like autos to score any points so i would say the smartest bet in this is take the under 41 and a half points but yeah. for the sake of that's argument that's the number that's the number i didn't see the number 41 and a half yeah. Oh, okay yeah all right yep yeah sense. so so i'd say the smartest bet is to take the under there but i've been really bad at this over unders this year so i wouldn't necessarily listen to me on that all right next up we have the montreal alouettes and i really don't get these goofy point spreads but montreal alouettes are half a point favorite at toronto it's basically a pickup i'm sorry i just don't see montreal winning this game i think that's going to come down to decisions and they're going to make the wrong decisions we need Kari Jones. I might love Kari Jones too much, but I don't think that's wrong. Joe? Yeah, I've got I've got Toronto in this one. Home field seems to matter lately again. Um, and they are they did do the win-loss, win-loss, win-loss thing, so they're definitely due for a win. Uh, like you've been mentioning, Montreal hasn't uh, has had the issue of Kari Jones being out uh, due to COVID protocols. So uh the coaching advantage may actually rest with Toronto, even though Toronto's got Chris Jones on the sidelines all of a sudden again. Yeah. God only knows how that's going to go, but that usually means the defense is pretty good. And if that's the case, Montreal's going to have trouble. Yes. Welcome back to the CFL. Chris Jones, defensive consultant for Toronto. I'd be looking over my shoulder if I were the coaching staff. I, I wouldn't be too surprised if he moved up in the pecking order a little bit on this team before too long. 
if he sticks around. Uh, Mike, how do you see this one? Well, I just think that uh, Vernon Adams has been struggling lately. And, uh, you know, he seems to go back and forth, one game good, one game bad. Um, but I'm going to have to go with Toronto in this one. You know, I think that uh, their defense is shaping up to be pretty good as well. You know, they they brought in all those guys in the offseason. There's a lot of talent there. Uh, I think they're shaping up together now. So, uh, you know, Kari Jones, obviously, as you mentioned, uh, not on the sidelines again. I think Toronto squeaks this one out. Yep. <laughs> That's about the size of it. Okay. And the game that everybody, including whoever makes the power rankings at CFL.ca, is waiting for. We have Saskatchewan Rough Riders, one point, one point underdogs at BC. Uh, who, who wants an easy one? Uh, Mike, what do you think? Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with the, uh, the BC lines in this one. Uh, I, I think, uh, you know, they're, they're starting to hit their stride with that offense. And, you know, if they were playing in Saskatchewan, I might, le- I'd probably lean towards the, the Rough Riders, but um, I think they're going to keep it rolling in BC. I know they faced a little bit of weak competition recently, but I, I think it, they're going to show their worth against Saskatchewan Rough Riders this weekend. So you liked Saskatchewan as number two in the power I rankings. Did. It but did. you think the number three team is going to beat them? Yeah, I like this. Yes. Yeah, it's a little bit of movement going on there. Okay, Joe, how about you in this game? I'm in the same spot. Uh, I think that BC has played well lately. They're also at home, which when they're playing well, uh, you might as well just close the book. I mean, Saskatchewan doesn't have a huge time change issue to deal with like other teams may. Uh, basically, anybody east of Saskatchewan's got that problem. Uh, but even so, you, in a game where you got two teams that are both playing pretty decently, I'm, I'm taking the home team. Hmm. Okay, I'll take the Riders. They haven't lost anybody except Winnipeg. I'll wait till they lose to somebody. I, I do think that they're the second best team in this league, and I don't think it's particularly close. And if I'm correct, that means they win this game. I have to stick to my conviction. I'm going to take Saskatchewan plus the point. All right, Mike Graham of Hodski Weewee. Thank you for joining us this evening. I appreciate you guys having me. All right, Joe, you want to close us out? Yeah, uh, I guess Winnipeg's going to give uh, some some team in the CFL a break because they're not going to throw a loss at this week. <laughs> Damn, the, the, the endings to these shows are getting remarkably similar as well this is getting a little disturbing here Edmonton, what is it winnipeg edmonton and calgary all on yeah. highs this week i believe yep. correct yep we are going to find out who's number two in the west though so that's a big deal and then maybe in the next couple of weeks we're, we'll start talking about whether a crossover is inevitable or if maybe it's not it usually is <laughs> <laughs> It usually is, but this year I no, question that. No crossover this year. No crossover. Absolutely not. Uh, Mike, you'll have to join us again for the uh, Grey Cup preview when it's your team yes. against Ghosty. Yeah, well, I hope so. I hope so, and hopefully it's not the same result of 2019. That was a that was a downer. Yeah, I I believe didn't we do the preview with two and out the live show? We did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, yeah so let's do that again. That worked out pretty well for yeah, yeah, yeah. us last time. So I'm down. I'm down. All right, I can't take any more of this 
For my co-host Joe Pritchard and our guest Mike Graham, I'm Miles Davis. This has been the Bruce Wayne from CFL Podcast. Enjoy the games this week. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter. <laughs>